I am just huge. Thank you to every single one of you guys. You just need to, I just got so proud of my people. I was just, oh, it was so cool this week to be able to just write a check and send it off. And uh, God is good. We're changing lives around the world. Amen. Okay, so uh, Red Letter Revival. We started off this, like I said, back around Easter time. And I told you at that point that Jesus, are you bringing me that? Okay, that I do. You're probably wondering what I'm going to do with this. Well, just you wait. Uh, Jesus, I started off telling you by, and making the statement that Jesus is the most, was and is the most controversial figure in history. He is the most quoted human being, and Jesus' influence in society has been uh, just incredible. He's influenced the ways uh, Jesus and, and the Gospels influenced education, family, government. The list goes on and on, and I gave you some of that way back when we started this. It's pretty impressive what God has done through the life of Jesus here on this planet Earth. And his influence has been amazing. But like I said, he is probably the most controversial figure as well. Amen? So along with the incredible notoriety always comes that controversy. Everybody say controversy. So in looking at the Red Letter uh, Revival here and doing all these sermons, you know, we've, we've been doing this for quite a few months, and I still haven't hardly gotten out of the Sermon on the Mount. So praise God for Dwayne and Zach, when they've gotten up here, they've drug us out of the Sermon on the Mount, but I'm going back to it today, and we're going to finish it, because his words at this moment in time uh, of his ministry have been just so life-changing. And what I want to do today is I want to go after a passage that I believe not only it came from the mouth of the most controversial uh, person in history, but I believe that these words were some of his most controversial words. Because they come up constantly, all the time. And all the time that they come up, nine times out of ten, most of the time, they are coming forth and coming up very misunderstood. So are you ready to tackle something tough here today? Say, pray for me right now. Reach your hand forward and pray over me so that I can handle that. Oh, girl, do it, do it. Okay, so I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 7. And I want to read to you this passage, but we're going to just start, we're going to do it little bit by little bit. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, and the first three words says it all, do not judge. How's that? For a commandment from Jesus, do not judge. How many of you guys have heard, especially recently, don't judge? How many times have you said, don't judge me? How many of you have had that attitude of, don't judge me? So what is this judge business? Because I hear it constantly out in in society, and and so many of society will say that to to the church. Don't judge. And Jesus says, do not judge. What you're really saying when you say the first three words of that verse is what you're saying is that don't criticize me, don't condemn me, don't compare me. What you're really saying, what those three words are really saying is that, hey, listen, live and let live. Don't judge. Let me be what I'm going to be, and you be what you're going to be, and and we're just going to leave it right there. Don't judge. Jesus said don't judge. And he did. Sometimes that, those three words can give us a license to sin. Don't judge. It's not, your, it's not your place to judge. Jesus said, don't judge. But if Jesus is asking us to not judge, you know what he's asking us to do? He's asking us to do something that's humanly impossible. Humanly impossible to not judge. You're telling me I can't judge? So let's break this down a little bit. What does the word judge mean? Judge means to look at something and to form an opinion. So is Jesus really saying that we cannot have any opinions? That I can't judge something? So to judge something means to form an opinion or to distinguish between something. So I can't, at this point, I don't see where judging is a bad thing. We have to be able to judge. 
the next thing after you judge something, you look at something and you form an opinion, you, you distinguish between things, is that then you, become, you bring forth a judgment. Everybody say judgment. And your judgment is going to be one of two things, pretty much, basically. I'm sure you could come up with a few others, but the basic ones is, number one, you're going to judge it to be good. And so then you're going to bless it. You're going to size something up. You're going to look at something. You're going to judge it. You're going to say, that's good. And you will bless that thing. Or you're going to look at something. You're going to size it up, and you're going to say, not good. You're going to condemn it. You're going to say, this thing is not good. You're going to size it up and decide that it is bad. You are going to judge it and then as to being something that is poor or bad, and then you're going to walk away. That's judging. It's taking something and determining good or bad. And we do it all the time. If you go to a baseball game, are the Mariners playing today? I, they are. How did I know that you would know that, Johnny? <laughs> if you go to a baseball game, there's this guy that sits behind the home plate. And if I were to be anybody on a baseball team, he's, he's the one I want to be. Because he's the one with all the power, right? And apparently, I'm not a big baseball fan, but apparently there's this imaginary box, right? And there's this imaginary box, and that... that that umpire, he gets down and he sees that imaginary box and then the pitcher throws the ball and the, the umpire gets to decide and judge if it's inside the box or not, right? And so he gets to go, no, what does he do? What is strike? What do they do? Strike. And what's... Okay, so whatever. Okay. <laughs> Also, I would also be the guy by first base, because he's the one, I know what he does. He goes like that, Rah! you know, in other words, it's he's safe, or, Rah! you know, they always do it so fun when they do it. I just, I, I would love to try that one day. But you go to a baseball game, and they're judging. They're judging. Right or wrong, right? So the, uh, this week, Solomon Sterling uh, moved to his own apartment. And uh, he took pictures about a week and a half ago of what was in his refrigerator. And, uh, and, sorry, honey, included inside of his refrigerator were cans of tuna. I said, honey, you don't need tuna in the refrigerator. They're canned. And he's like, well, who wants warm tuna? <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, he also had in that refrigerator a tray of chicken. And then a week and a half later, he decides to cook that tray of chicken. So uh, he calls me up, Mama, is this good chicken or not? And I'm, you know, however many hundreds of miles away. He's in Ellensburg. I'm like, I have no idea, honey. You're going to have to judge that one on your own. So I said, smell it. Does it smell bad? I don't know. Now you got to taste it. And if you die, it was bad, okay? <laughs> and the, funny, the other half of that is that he was fixing it to have some friends over. He was going to have his first little house party at his house. And I said, well, if they go home sick, you knew it was bad. So uh, judging, he, he had to judge the chicken, good or bad. We all judge. We judge all the time. And Jesus said, do not judge. So how does this work out? You go to the movies. There's movie critics that are telling you this movie's good or this movie's bad. John 7, 24, Jesus said, do not judge. So where does all this lie? Uh, in jo uh, John chapter 7, verse 24, we find Jesus uh, he healed a guy on the Sabbath. And the church people of that day looked at Jesus and judged him. They said, what are you doing? You're healing on the Sabbath. And that's awful. And Jesus looked at them and he said, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. So now, all of a sudden, Jesus is telling us that you can judge right and you can judge wrong. Everybody say, judge right, or judge wrong. So now we know that you can judge rightly or wrongly. All right? Now, to judge chicken and to judge a pitch and to judge a movie, 
you know, I mean, you just judge it. It's, it there's not a whole lot of controversy around it. You, you just, you just kind of do. And the people who judge movies and judge the, the baseball pitch and all that, they're supposed to be experts, right? So they can judge because they're experts. Or you watch gymnastics. Have you ever wondered, like, at these big gymnastics on the Olympics, you know, and there's these judges over there, and how did they get to be judges? I want to be a judge. But you know what? If I'm going to judge a gymnastics girl, I'd give them all tens because they're amazing, right? But sometimes, somehow, they find one little tiny flaw, and they're like, you get a 9.999 for that. So how do you get to be a judge on the gym, gymnastics team? How do, you, how do you do that? You do that because you are a professional. You did that. You used to be a gymnastic person, and you won everything, and you're an expert, and you're fantastic, and you could do it perfect, and if that's the case, now you can sign up to be a judge. Right? And nine times out of ten... The judging, the judgments that come down regarding chicken or a baseball pitch or a gymnastics person, they, they just stand. They're not, uh, they're not criticized or anything like that. They just do it, and everybody accepts it. There's not a lot of controversy around it. But when we move from that kind of thing into morality, now things get controversial. Judge, uh, God is the ultimate judge. He can judge us morally because he's perfect. He is that perfect one, just like those, those gymnastic judges are perfect. They can do it. And they have a right to judge because they can do it well. And God has a right to judge us morally and to judge us as to how we live. And he has the right to do that because he's perfect. Jesus lived life on this earth, and he did it perfectly. So now, if Jesus is going to say yes or no, right or wrong, up or down on our behavior and on us, he can do that because he's perfect, right? We're, we're, we're not, we can't fight with him. But he's not living on earth right now. And so now we're stuck with each other. And since God is a judge, he is a judge, he, that's part of his nature, and you are made in his likeness and image, guess what you want to do? It's natural to come out of us. Have you ever tried to not judge something? Have you ever tried to not judge? Jesus said, don't judge. Okay. What do you turn into? You turn into a nothing with no opinions. Judging is innate inside of us. We still have a need to distinguish between good and bad, right and wrong. We still have this need to decide what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. It's within us. And it must be done. But I would like to add, it must be done right. It has to be done right. So Matthew 7, 1, let's go back to our scripture. Do not judge. Those are the first three words that Jesus says. Do not judge. But I will tell you that that is not a period after that sentence right there, those three words. It's a comma. So you cannot just say, don't judge, and walk away. If you do, you are now misquoting scripture. We are called to judge. We are called to distinguish between things. We are called to this. But my hope and prayer today that the body of Christ here at New Horizon, after the next, say, 20 minutes, you will all become, have the ability to judge rightly and judge well. Do not judge, comma, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. So now we're kind of getting a, a little bit better of an understanding of what judgment is. Judging. Do not judge because the way you judge is the way you're going to be judged. The measure that you use 
to measure another person is the same measure that someone's going to take and use on you. This slapped me down hard this week. Do not judge, or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And he's saying to the body of Christ, his people, right here, uh, August, whatever day this is, Sunday, number I don't, I can't remember at this moment, 18? He's looking at you and saying, don't judge, because the measure that you're going to be judged by, you don't want to be measured by that. You don't want to be And he's also telling us that judging is a reciprocal thing, which is very, very interesting. Because when when you're learning about, you know, when you're in the word, you you know, and we've taught you very well, the the verse that says, give and it shall be given back to you, pressed down, measure, uh, full measure, pressed down, shaken together. Giving, God believes very strongly in sowing and reaping and a a spirit of reciprocity. And certain things fall into reciprocity in the world and in your life. And giving is one of those. As you give, the same measure will be given back to you. Press down, measure, a certain measure. It's the same word used here. We also have learned that if you forgive others, you will be forgiven. Reciprocity. So we know it works for giving and finance. We know that it works in forgiveness. We also know that the word says very strongly, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This reciprocity. But did you know that judging also comes under that same reciprocity law? No, but I... I don't think we know that. I don't think we understand that. So that as you judge another, you're going to get that right back. That's how you're going to be judged. As you measure another person, that's how they're going to measure you. And that's how it's going to come back at you. And I'm telling you what, this rent my heart. Because if we don't realize this, we wonder why things go the way they go. And I'm trying to connect the two in your life because the body of Christ, if they can understand this, we can become a very healthy place for people. But if we don't understand this, we, be, we become very unhealthy. And the body of Christ begins to draw apart and the body of Christ begins to rip apart and shred apart because of inner troubles, not because of some demon out there. But as you judge, you will be judged. It's a reciprocal thing. How do you want to be judged? I kind of want to be judged not. But I can't help to be judged because we're human beings with the, the likeness of Christ inside of us, the likeness of God inside of us. And so we're looking at each other and we're seeing each other and we are, we're weighing things and we're knowing So how do you want to be judged? One day, Jasmine was about three or four years old, and we bought her a goldfish bowl. And we put put the goldfish, and and her version of feeding the goldfish was to go like this and put the flakes in, right? And then you got to drain all the water out, and the goldfish is going to die because they don't know when to stop eating. And, you know, we just have this problem. So I had to, we just kept telling her, you may not feed the goldfishy. And here, here it is in her room. So she has a little friend over. They go upstairs, and they're playing. And uh, I come in, and somebody had taken the, the food and dumped the whole thing in. So I have food everywhere. And I come in, and Jasmine's holding the cup, the food, food bucket. She's standing there, you know. So what did I judge? Jasmine Wolf, you, you disobeyed me. And so I took her, and I, we got in, she got in trouble, and, and I actually spanked her because it was a, I felt like a, an act of disobedience, of rebellion. I told her many, many times she knew better than that and all that. And by the time we were done, after it was all over, she looked up at me with these big eyes and said, but I didn't do it. Sarah did. <laughs> I was just cleaning up. 
I judged before I knew everything. So my question to you is, how do you want to be judged? I'll tell you how I want to be judged. I want to be judged mercifully. I want to be judged graciously. I want you to look at me, and if I'm not quite right today, I want you to think in your mind and know that I woke up that morning and I had a bad hair day. I want you to take into consideration everything I've been through in my life. And I want you to understand me deeply. And if you know those things, then when you judge me, you're going to judge me with mercy. And you're judge me with kindness. And you're going to judge me from what's inside of me. And because of, So when you walk in the doors, I have to do the same for you. I want mercy when I'm judged. I want you to judge me according. And I'm understanding and realizing everything I've been through. Maybe I'm not perfect yet. But know that I've had my struggles and I'm fighting. Verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Specks and planks. Apparently, according to this verse, specks and planks are universal. They're everywhere. There are specks in everybody's eye. There are problems with every soul sitting in this room. Specks are not, like, surprising. Specks are everywhere. Specks are little pieces of sawdust, little tiny, tiny, tiny pieces of things that get into people's eyes and, and get into people's lives. In other words, there is something wrong with the people that you're looking at all the time. Everyone, look around you right now. Look at all the specks. There are specks around you in every single eye sitting in this room. And if you leave this room, church, if you go out into society, you will look around and there are plenty of specks to be found. Amen? Humanity-wide, specks are normal. Specks are there. The problem when I get something in my eye, though, is I usually can't see it. I feel the effects of it, but I can't see it. I can't see it. But I can see stuff wrong with your eye. Especially when I get real close. I can see what's in your eyes. But we need help with specs. I have I've had my kids, you know, have you ever gotten like something in your eye and you just can't get it out? What's the first thing you do? Yeah, you try to do it yourself. You're never very efficient. You usually, I usually go to somebody, do you see something in there? Help me. Or my son, who had, uh, Austin, who had keratoconus, ended up with uh, two corneal transplants or whatever. He needed somebody to really help him with his eyes because something was really wrong with his eyes. So we've got the best surgeon. And for you to be able to do eye surgery, you have to be very close to that person. You cannot do eye surgery from far away. I cannot do eye surgery. Do you want me poking in your eye from over here? I'm serious. What does it require for me to do any eye surgery? I have to get up so stinking close. I have to get up like right here. Eye surgery is meant to be done by someone close, not someone far away. If I'm going to have somebody help me with my eye, I want a steady hand. How many of you want somebody coming in your eye going? Absolutely not. If I'm going to have somebody coming in on my eye, working on my eye, I want someone gentle. I don't want them coming in the room just, okay, come on. No, you want gentle, soft. I want someone sterile. I don't want them packing germs into my eye. And I want them to have good eyesight. I want them to see really well so that when they're digging in my eye, they're doing it gently and carefully and they can see exactly what to go for. Just get that to help me. 
That's what's needed for eye surgery. But we have a problem in this, in this passage because it says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? So here's this right here. So this is, well, it's a bamboo shoot. I, don't, I sent my son out to get me this. It was supposed to be a plank, but this will work, right? So this is made out of wood. What is a speck of sawdust made out of? So is this. The difference is, is this is really a whole bunch of specks put together, and the other one is just one, right? So the Bible says here, let's read it again. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brothers, let me take the speck out of your own eye when all the time there is a plank in yours? So how would you like someone to come up to you and go, hey, you got a speck in there. You want me to help you get that thing out? And as you move in close, you're going to... This was Jesus' funniest statement of all time. Can you imagine what the people said when they were envisioning this? The plank in your own eye. Now, I found it very interesting as I'm reading through this and as I'm teaching this. Why is it that it's the person looking has the plank and the person that you're looking at has a a speck? What makes me have a plank when I'm you know, doing this thing? And what makes them only have a speck? So here's my take on it. You ready for my take? Yeah, I won't trip on that. Here's the problem. Judging, if you're an umpire for a baseball game, it's one thing. But when you step over into judging morality, who are the judges of morality? God is the judge of morality. And it's through religion where we get the actual kind of boots on the ground stuff. And religious people tend to become the most judgmental people. How do religious people become judgmental? How do we switch over from just being a good, right judge into becoming judgmental? Because judgmental is when you judge wrongly. Oh, she's just so judgmental. And here's what happens. If you are looking at another person, and in your heart and in your mind... You have this, this incredible ability to take God's holiness and amplify its requirements for everybody else. Yet, when you look inside, you excuse yourself from the requirements of holiness. Now we have stepped into a whole new realm, and in that realm, that realm there is called self righteous. Let me say that again. When we look at another person, and we all have been taught and trained in the Bible, we know right and wrong, we know what God is asking for, but when we look at another person, and when we look at them, we begin to amplify the requirements of holiness. How in the world could they do that? I can't believe they do that. They know better. What? Now we're amplifying the requirements of holiness for the people that we're looking at, while at the same time, when it comes to us, we know our, we, you know, uh, well, it's because, you know, if you only knew what I really, you know, I'm, I'm trying at least. So now we're looking inside of ourselves and we're giving excuses as a response to the requirements of holiness within, within us. Well, I'm in charge. I can do this. I'm getting away with it. Nothing's happening. But them, oh my word. It's called self-righteousness. 
and the self-righteousness that Jesus ran into. What was his reaction to the self-righteous Pharisees and, and all of the chief priests and all those? What was his reaction? These were the moments in the passages, the red letters. These are the red letters where you begin to wonder if Jesus is even saved. Son of vipers, you! You whitewashed sepulcher! Yeah! You can just see Jesus just... And what is he doing that up against? He's doing that against self-righteousness. And the last place I want to find me is in the seat of a self-righteous person. Where we look at others and we amplify the righteousness of God and the requirements of holiness. Yet at the same time, on the inside, we have all the reasons in the world to be who we are. Well, he hurt me. So I'm, I, I am not forgiving. He hurt me. I deserve to be angry. So it's my feeling that the thing that makes a speck turn into a plank is when we add self-righteousness, pride, arrogance, that becomes a plank. That's what makes a plank. So let's read on. I'll, I'll just remind you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Verse 5, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. Now he's calling us hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? The uh, hypocrite is an actor on a stage. A hypocrite is one that becomes one thing in front of everybody, and then when they come off the stage, there's something else. That is a hypocrite. And he's calling us out saying, I want you the same when you're dealing with your friend as you want me to deal with you. I want you to be the same. I want you to be the same with every soul around you as you are with yourself. He's saying, you hypocrite. First, take the speck out of your own eye. Now, or the, no, sorry. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the spank, speck. Spank. Maybe they do need a spank. I'm <laughs> remove the speck from your brother's eye. We all have specks. We all have specks. Take your mask off and be real. First, he says first here. First, that means we've got a list going. First, he said he addresses us as, as the hum, in the humanity, the human condition that we're in, that we have these planks and these specks and we're running around, we're trying to deal with one another. How many of you have ever gone to church and they aren't perfect? How many of you gone to church and they didn't say hi to you? How many of you gone to church and maybe the pastors weren't quite right? Maybe you go to a church and, and the people sitting around you, you see them being, you know, pulling out of the, the pornography store the next day. How about that? How about that, people? How about that? I'm the first one to say, I have specs. But let's take off the... The mask that says I'm going to have a higher uh, bar for you than I have for myself. Let's get real. Let's get humble. Let's become a little self-aware. Self-righteousness has no self-awareness. And let's repent. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Take the plank, reach up, realize that maybe you haven't been doing so well in your interpersonal relationships because when you walk up to them, you are doing this. Take the plank out of your own eye. Repent. Take a posture of humility and repentance. First, take the plank out. But you know what? That's not the end of it. That's not the end of it. This whole passage is not about you getting to become a better person. First, take the plank out of your own eye. And we're pretty good at that. You know, that's the next step in Christianity is to, to be convicted and to repent so that I can live a better life. 
for me. But Jesus says in, I believe it's John, I can't remember, it just went out of my head. John 13, 35, I give you a new commandment. John 13, 35, I give you a new commandment that you would love one another as I have loved you. Oh, that's 35, do the 34, if you can. Okay, well, it's there. By this, okay, a new command I give you, the, to love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. The, here's the problem. God never does a work in your life so that you can go along your merry way and have a happy life. God does a work in your life so that you can use that in community with everyone around you because God's building more than just you. He's building a community, his, his kingdom. He's building a church. He's building a net to catch the world in. He's building amazing things and you're a little piece of it. So when he heals you and when you get that thing out of your own eye, now you're not done. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Then, then you will be able to see clearly now to help your brother. So we go back to the very first words, do not judge. You think, okay, that's cool. I, I now have license from Jesus to just go like this and go about my merry way. But Jesus doesn't put a period there. He puts a comma, and now he's going to bring us through the steps of how to judge rightly. And at the very end, he, he brings it to a place now where the, his church, his body, his marriages, his life, his families, now they're going to be brought together and strengthened. Judging rightly. Now, judging, judging rightly means I can't just look at you and shake my head and walk away. Now, to judge rightly, it's my job to, to keep my heart pure and my, to keep humility within and to rend my own heart first. But then I'm going to come to you and gently restore you. Gently restore you. Galatians 6. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin... You who are, or somebody has a speck. You who are spiritual should restore him gently. Restore him gently. Restore him gently. The word restore means to correct with no feeling of resentment or thought to punish. How many of you have gone to, I have got to have a word with you. Let's, let's have coffee. I need you to know. What you're doing is not a good thing. This restoration they're talking about at this moment is set in such a beautiful setting of gentleness that you have no desire for them to be punished for this thing. You only want them restored. It's, it's, there's two uh, word pictures that go along this, with this. Amending of a net. Sitting on a beach where there's been a rending of the net. The, the net has broken apart. And you're sitting there, you're knitting, knitting it back together again. Or you are a surgeon in an ER. Somebody comes in dislocated. You're going to gently relocate that bone back into its socket. Gently restore. You should restore him gently. But watch yourself or you might be tempted Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Loving one another. Loving one another. I need you all to stand in the band to come. Judging. There's three groups of people I'm talking to, or three ways to judge. The first way is you look at a person, you judge them, and you write them off. This is the person that sees things and you just walk away shaking their head. and uh. This kind of person is walking in self-righteousness. This is a judgmental person. The second type of person is the one that would size up a person and then go home and say, boy, I better work on myself. I'm going to work on myself. I can't do that. Uh, you know, but for the grace of God, there go I, and I got to get this out of my life, and, and I have no right to judge them, and, and I got to fix me. Good. 
But then they say to themselves, but I have no right to speak to them because I'm disqualified because I struggle too. The word of God doesn't allow any space for that. Because the word of God doesn't disqualify anyone because when you repent and when you lay it down and you come before the Lord in humility, now you are a willing vessel. You are not disqualified. You are now qualified. And the third kind of person is one that would size up issues around them, work on themselves, and then invest in those around them. That they would not do the easy thing, but that they would be willing to come in close. James 5 says, I'm going to just quote this. I wish I could say it by heart. My brothers, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I believe that very strongly, but I also want in this house that we learn to judge rightly with the love in our heart for people, with the humility of spirit, that there would be absolutely none of this operating in this house. That I would feel safe getting close to you because I'm not gonna get whacked by your own pride. That you're not gonna judge me higher and harder you judge yourself or that you would judge me any higher or harder than Jesus himself for judgment as I'm trying and I'm reaching out if the body of Christ could leave a behind judgmental spirit if we would leave it behind people if we would go beyond it if we could live above it if we could become better then the world would not have anything to point their finger at us for The Lord gave me in the worship today was just this vision of how judging each other wrongly and incorrectly and harshly is shredding the nets that he's trying to build to bring in the harvest. I want you right now to just consider in your heart, how do you respond to one another and our specks? Because they are there. I'm, I'm serious that every soul has a speck or two. your hand to heaven right now and just ask the Lord to wash us of our hardness of heart towards one another, to wash us from judgmentalism in Jesus' name. The sin grieves the Father. Sin grieves the Father and that we would be grieved, Lord God, by sin around us, but that we would not harshly destroy them, but that we would have a gentle hand that we would be willing to draw close to the ones that we see struggling and not judge them from afar, but that we would draw close and that with a gentle hand, first repent from ourselves and where we're at on the inside, but then to gently, gently, gently restore them, that we would be willing to invest in one another. This is true community. know that as you judge that's how you're going to be judged do you take a measuring tape and do you go very strictly to them and judge them you are short you are short of the holiness of God or do you go to them and say oh brother oh sister I love you so much I love you so much You're so close, you can feel their heartbeat. You know what's in their past. You know what there are. Then you have a right to speak into their lives. Oh, Jesus. God's washing his bride right now. He's washing this whole house. He's washing you personally. He's setting you in a place where he can trust a sinful world to come in contact with you and that they won't walk away feeling rejected by the Heavenly Father, but that they will feel loved and accepted. 
accepted and brought in and washed and cleansed and led. Thank you, Jesus. We repent of self-righteousness. Even a little bit, people. Even a little bitty, teeny, tiny speck of it. Get it out of you right now. Throw it away. And now embrace the call into one another's lives in community, amen I'd like the prayer partners to come up here and if this message is spoken to you and if you feel the need to press in I want to just welcome you up here I will pray with you, I will lift you up and let the Lord wash you of this very thing because I will tell you something specks are everywhere and it's Satan's design to cause us that our specks would cause us to recoil from one another and push one another away but the Lord is saying the specks in your brother's eye is not meant to send you away from them not meant for you to look at them and send them away from you but it is meant for you to draw near to them you're not to reject you're to draw near this is the very thing that's draw you it's going to strengthen his house it's going to strengthen his people what the lord what the enemy meant for destruction god means for good in our lives amen thank you for coming to church thank you for listening to the word we're going to sing a song and i want to encourage you to just let it marinate in your heart right now if you would like prayer come on up if you need to go i understand and i'm grateful but if not come on up come on up for prayer and just let the word just marinate don't just say set well that was great and run off let it make a difference in your soul and if you don't know the lord now is the time you are not judged for your sins you are forgiven of your sins you are cleansed of your unrighteousness this is what the lord does amen let's sing
Bye. Bye.